I've walked on two properties <laughs> out of you wow. know, three, you know, 300 and some that we've bought. And they've, they've been ones that were more local just because I seriously wanted to go. I was like, because we buy a lot in Colorado and a lot in Oregon and a lot in Arizona. And like, I, you know, I'm not going to go to those places every time we buy a property. <laughs> we have somebody else go out there for us. Because it's just land. There's, there's nothing really happening to it. Welcome to XN State. Where's the greatest opportunity in real estate today? That's what I need to know. We'll hear from industry leaders with boots in the ground and skin in the game. Who's winning? How are they winning? Stick around and we'll find out right here on XN State. Hello and welcome back to XN State. This is your host, JCQ. Today we bring in Clint Turner, founder of Awaylandco. I met Clint a few months ago and I became fascinated by his business model and I've been really looking forward to the opportunity to bring him on the show and learning all about it. Clint's business model is essentially to buy what he calls recreational properties, which are properties basically in the middle of nowhere, typically between 5 to 10 acres that people buy for a few thousand dollars and can now proudly call themselves landowners of some acreage that they can actually use. It's a very intriguing model with a fantastic system that Clint has managed to put in place. And I do have to say it's been working out pretty well for him, particularly during COVID-19, which we'll let him tell us all about. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of XN State. Without further ado, here is today's guest, Clint Turner. Clint, welcome to XN State. How are you today? I am doing great. How about yourself? Doing very well. Thank you. Thank you very much for your time today. I'm very excited about the opportunity to have you here and ask you all about your very unique and <laughs> very interesting business model. Yeah, man. Well, I'm looking forward to it. And, you know, I'm sure we'll get into it. But you and I chatted just a little bit a few months ago at an event and yeah, we definitely connected. So I'm glad to I'm glad to chat a little more. Thank you. Thank you, Clint. So, Clint, what do you do? And tell us all about Away Land Co. Yeah. So, you know, pretty simply, we, you know, if you're familiar with real estate terms, you can think of it as wholesaling. We basically wholesale rural vacant properties. That's kind of the simple way to put it. But what we do differently, which doesn't really make it wholesaling at all, (laughs) is that we normally buy our properties off market and then we, we bring them all the way back to market, really. So, you know, maybe as a more traditional investor thinks about a fix and flip, they buy a property that's underutilized, not used, that has some value to it, they add some value and then resell it. Well, we kind of do that, but we don't really, <laughs> we don't really add any value to our properties. But we basically bring, because there's so much land around, there's so much land in the US, we're able to kind of identify markets where there's, you know, lots of properties for sale. And then we just use, you know, kind of general buying off market property strategies to source our deals. And then we bring them to market and sell them. <laughs> so pretty straightforward. We buy unused land and then we we bring it back to market. That sounds extremely interesting, Clint. So essentially, you buy raw land and sell raw land, right? Yep. That's pretty straightforward. So first of all, how did or well, before we go into how it all started, I'd like to understand that a little bit better. So what kind of properties do you buy or sell? Yeah, so most of our properties are recreational, if you want to think of them that way. So there's kind of two different types of land invest. Well, there's a lot of different types, but there's two main types. One being like infill lots, which are kind of like your general lots you may see in suburban or gentrifying area, very relative to a city. 
pretty much the only use case for the property is to build on it, right? We focus mostly on rural, <laughs> rural residential properties or rural vacant properties. And a lot of the properties really are in areas that are kind of middle of nowhere, <laughs> kind of land that's definitely not in the, uh, that's not developed, but it's really something more of a, uh, you know, a property you can use recreationally, a property you can, you know, eventually build a cabin on or, you know, use in that fashion. Rarely do we have people buying our properties to build on and use right away. But yeah, you know, so you can think of it as larger acreage. We generally don't deal with anything less than five acres. And we buy, you know, we've bought properties all the way up into the multiple hundred acres. And then generally they're within a couple hours of a major market. So if you think about who your buyers are for properties like this, we always look to have two, three, four major markets in the areas where we're investing or, excuse me, within a couple hours of where we're investing because it kind of gives that allure of, hey, you can own property outside the city. And, you know, so if you ever need to get away, recreation, kind of selling that sort of that sort of dream, if you will. Mm -hmm. And for what price are you typically buying these properties for? Mm -hmm. So as my business has grown, this <laughs> this number has changed for sure. The really interesting thing in this niche is you can buy properties for, I mean, literally you can buy properties for a couple hundred bucks. You can buy, there's a, I don't remember the exact name of it, but it's pretty much like the state of Arkansas owns a bunch of land and you can simply submit a bid to the state and buy a property for like $200. Oh, um, what size? And yeah. Uh, they're, they can be anywhere from like a quarter to like an acre and a quarter. A quarter uh, acre for $200. Yeah. For like 200 bucks. In the middle of nowhere, obviously. Pretty much in the middle of nowhere, yeah. But, you know, so there's people that will buy these and they'll they'll sell them on Craigslist or they'll sell them on eBay. And, you know, you can buy those for a couple hundred bucks and you can sell them for a thousand, fifteen hundred, you know, two thousand dollars, something like that. And so you can do deals all the way down there. You can do deals all the way up to, you know, we're working on a 260 acre acquisition in, you know, in Southern Oregon. And so that one, you know, we'd buy in the, high five figures, low six figures range, and then, you know, kind of flip it past that. But there's a ton of exit strategies. There's a ton of different ways to buy rural land. We, we really buy everything just about in between there. But, you know, if you kind of want to put an average or kind of a profile around it, we normally deal with like five to 40 acre properties is probably our average. And we're looking for, again, kind of, you know, properties that have access, properties that have you know, the ability to have power and utilities and things like that down the road. But really, these are rural, rural, vacant properties, kind of, <laughs> kind of the property you see when you're driving from one major city to the next and you say, who owns all that land, you know? So if I live in, in Austin, Texas, what kind of property could I buy that's in that acreage range and in that price range? Or how, how close can one of your properties be from a city like Austin? Oh, so Texas is a Texas is probably one of the more expensive markets to buy land in. So, you know, if you want to find a property, then you know, I live in Austin as well. So I'm pretty familiar with the Austin land market, but really anything within an hour of Austin sells for, you know, ten to fifteen thousand dollars an acre. And so our properties are more on the one to three thousand dollar an acre range. Okay. So Austin is definitely, you know, kind of a its own unique market, but we have land or we've sold land in West Texas, things that are probably five or six hours from Austin that were in the lower price range. 
And I know for a fact you can find properties within maybe two hours of Austin, kind of in that one to two thousand dollars an acre range. Okay. Um, so if you're looking for a ranch or something rural residential, but you're definitely going to be spending more near an area like Austin versus an area like Colorado Springs or something like that, right? Austin's definitely more of a major market. And again, before we get into how it all started, again, just trying to understand this part a little bit better. So, and how do you find these properties? Are mm -hmm. these properties that, yeah, how do you come across these opportunities? Because you, you mentioned at some point that they're off-market opportunities. Yeah. yeah, just about everything we buy is off-market, mostly through direct mail. I mean, direct mail is the is the champion in our business. You know, there's just so much supply. And how do you find properties to identify? Yeah. Because exactly, there's, there's millions so of properties many, out there. Right. Um, and so there's all sorts of criteria that you can factor by. Really, when it comes down to it, it, I think if you're trying to get into any kind of real estate model, especially one that includes volume. So like, you know, we do 100 plus deals a year. And so I think it's really important to find areas that have sales volume to begin with. You can use a tool just like Zillow or Redfin or something like that just to see how many sold properties there are and, you know, in a given area or tools like lands of America as well. Those are all free listing services. And so we really like to see sales in an area. And so we'll, you know, kind of start there. And then, you know, there's a ton of different tools out there. The one that we use is, is called data tree, but you know, basically we go and we find these areas that have market activity and we just work backwards from it. Very simply, we go to the areas in our tools you know, we select the areas and then we kind of filter down by different kind. You know, it, it really just depends. There's kind of a, in this little niche, all the gurus like to say that, you know, you mail the tax delinquent list or you mail the out-of-state list. And we've really just kind of found that we mail everybody. <laughs> so we're more interested in just finding areas that have properties that are selling kind of shows us there's a market there. And then we just work backwards through, you know, some sort of list tool like like Data Tree or Agent Pro or Plexa, you know, all those different kinds of tools. So how does a typical deal look like? You'll send out thousands of letters by mail and a mm -hmm. few of those, I guess, will reply back saying that they're interested in selling. And when, when the letters that you send out, you just mentioned that you're interested in buying their property. I assume you don't necessarily quote a specific price. We actually do. And that's one thing that kind of sets our business a little bit apart is we don't, <laughs> I don't like to sort through a lot of non-motivated people. So, you know, with land, it's pretty easy to find a market again, because there's not a million people in the world doing this. <laughs> I mean, it's not really kind of overrun with competition yet, I guess, but you know, you can go out and find areas that have a market and then from there, uh, you know, you can kind of use that information in order to build the list and send the letters out. So, yeah, we send it through direct mail. And then, you know, we do add a price on. We kind of price it before we send it out. There's a lot of different philosophies on how to do that. <laughs> but, you know, generally it comes down to just using the data you have available, you know, being able to see what's sold in the last six to 12 months, being able to see what's on the market in that area. And we're generally buying our properties between 20 and 40% of market value. And so we simply Can slap... You said 20 to 40% of market value? Yeah. So normally we're buying between 20 and 40%, you know, kind of maybe a little closer to 30, 35 normally. But we basically put that on there. We put that our offers around 20 to 40% of market value, but we put the actual number, right? Whether it's 500 bucks an acre or $2,000, you know, whatever that actual 
low offer amount is. We do put it on the letters because it just helps. It helps keep down the total number of people that call you back <laughs> and kind of keep it to the motivated people. And so, um, yeah, that's generally how we get started with it. And then, yeah, we'll send out some letters and go from there. And then somebody will look at the the price. If they're interested in selling at that price, they'll give you a call back. And what happens from there? Yeah, you know, some people will look at the letter and we've got some hilarious responses from, <laughs> from direct <laughs> mail. I remember one time we had somebody write us a letter, rip up our letter, put it all in an envelope and take the time to mail it back. <laughs> and it, <laughs> it went to our mail house and they didn't even know how to handle it. But yeah, so, you know, you get a lot of that. But generally, you know, our deals come in a variety of ways. You know, nuts and bolts, they call, they email, they fax, whatever. They get in touch with us somehow. And for our team specifically, we have one of our one of our acquisitions managers will contact them. And, you know, really, we just kind of run through a general set of questions with land. It's not that, you know, with houses or with apartments or with storage units, you know, with all these different asset classes, there's a lot of boxes to check. There's a lot of things to work through. Within the first like five minutes, I can pretty much tell you if I'm going to do a deal or not. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. five minutes of talking to a seller, I can pull the property up. We can see if it has access. We can see if the chain of titles relatively clear. We can see if it's in a desirable area. And we can pretty clearly like check the boxes within a few simple questions. And so they get screened as they come in. And then all the deals flow into our system. And we basically just start sending offers out. <laughs> we, we get offers in front of people and, and then we just you know, close the ones that come back accepted. Okay. And so, in a, for example, in a sample property, if you buy a 10 acre piece of property for maybe $5,000, that would be in the range of something that's reasonable of, of what you've seen. Ten, yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. And then how much do you sell that property for? Normally, so we have a couple different exit strategies and there's there's more than what we do, but I focus on mostly selling to the retail market versus selling to other investors. There are people that do everything I just told you and then sell to someone like me who would then sell it to the retail market, but we take everything to market pretty much. And so we sell things for cash or we sell things on owner financing. We'll owner finance just about any property that comes into our door. Because again, we have such high margins. We're normally buying around thirty, you know, thirty cents on the dollar, and asking ninety to hundred cents on the dollar for the property. So most of our properties are very easy to finance in that fashion. And so, you know, let's say the one you just talked about—a ten-acre property that we bought for five thousand—in one of our ideal markets, a ten-acre property could be fifteen, twenty, twenty-five thousand, something like that. But the great thing is, you know, if we bought it for five thousand. Oftentimes we'll sell it for three thousand, you know, three thousand bucks down, and three or four hundred dollars a month over five to ten years. So we get our initial investment back pretty much up front within a few months, and then it's just free cash flow after that. Wow, That's yeah. Very interesting. Uh-huh. And then so we love that model of kind of generating the cash flow machine because nobody, no banks lend against the kind of land that we that we target. So mm-hmm. we have the ability to just be the bank on it. And so we can charge really great interest rates. And when it comes down to like the final number, you know, cash on cash or kind of, you know, percent yield on your money, some of these deals you can turn, you know, one, two, 300% a year on your capital invested, which is like astronomical <laughs> to most things, mm-hmm. right? 
you know, a lot of people you're looking at 10, 15, 20% on a project is great. So yeah, we do a lot of cash flips, but we also try and owner finance as many of the properties as we can. And how many properties do you have, for example, right now generating some cash flow? Yeah, so I did, you know, I started this about three and a half years ago and really have done it pretty consistently over about the last two and a half years. Our business has sold, you know, over 400, you know, or probably over 300, 350 properties at this point. And on our balance sheet and our, as far as loans we collect on, I think we collect on a little over 120 right now. So we have about 120 coming in and that's over, you know, a couple of years of doing it. Now that probably could have been like 200 because we sell kind of 50, 50 cash on terms, but a lot of people pay them off early or default on them. <laughs> yeah, uh, And so, you know, that's a risk you're willing to take. Absolutely. Yeah. You're, you're in the property so cheap. And, you know, one of the great things is we sell on, we don't sell on deed of trust in most cases. If it's a more expensive property and you're financing it and you're closing through a title company, then yeah, maybe you'll sell through a deed of trust, which, you know, for anyone who's less experienced, it's just a much, <laughs> a much more pain in the butt way to foreclose basically is what that means. But for the most part, we sell on a contract for deeds. So if you don't pay, you don't fulfill your contract and the actual ownership never changes hands. So there's, in most cases, not a lengthy foreclosure process for our properties, which makes non-payments kind of, you know, you almost root for them in a case <laughs> because <laughs> you get a bunch of money. You get to keep the property. Yeah. You're going to go sell it again. So, but yeah, that's how we sell most of our properties. And how many properties do you typically have in the market at any given moment, like today? You know, last year we had a much more consistent answer to give you, but since COVID happened, our business has just skyrocketed. I mean, it's absolutely skyrocketed. People want to get out of the cities more than ever. And so land is, you know, we probably, whereas we used to keep, have 20, 30, 40, 50 properties in our inventory normally, we can't keep property <laughs> in inventory. I mean, we're selling it while it's in closing currently. So right now, I mean, properties that are on the market, we have, you know, 10 to 15 right now. And that may even be too many because we've just been selling them. But, you know, at any given point, we're trying to keep 15 to 20 in our pipeline. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know how long this market's going to last for. It's definitely been really, really good for us, which is, you know, it's kind of scary at first as somebody who's 25 and quit their job, you know, a year ago to do this. And then COVID hits, you're like, oh, my gosh, what <laughs> what's going to happen and then after about a couple of weeks of silence, it just, the, the phones were ringing like crazy. People want to get out of the city. So we've been selling stuff as fast as we can touch it these days. Um, but I think it's also made it harder for you to get your hands on properties at the same time. Yes and no. I feel like it just takes a little more effort and a lot of people aren't willing to put that in. So for example, in this industry, like in this niche, you used to be able to send out a couple hundred letters and get a deal back, you know, and you could do that in many counties across the country. Nowadays, it's a little more competitive. More people want to keep their land because of COVID and all those things. And so really, it's a little more like hunting these days, whereas it used to be very, very consistent. But realistically, if you think about a, just an average deal, let's say it takes me 2000 pieces of mail to find a property, right? And that's a very, like, very realistic number, 2000 pieces of mail to find a good deal. And let's just use the deal we used earlier, right? Five, 5,000 in, you sell it for 20,000. The marketing cost on 2000 pieces of mail is 
a thousand bucks, something like that, 800 bucks, a thousand bucks. That's nothing in the scheme of, you know, in the scheme of the ROI that you're making on the properties. Now, a lot of people are scared to kind of take that step, but we've simply just increased our mailing. We've put more letters out. We've put more, you know, reached out to more people's researched more areas and the return is definitely still there. But yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. It has become a little more challenging during COVID. And also, I, <laughs> I don't think it hurts that probably every person who had land in their, in their portfolio they were trying to sell, they probably all have sold it at this point <laughs> and they're trying mm-hmm. to acquire more. So there's probably a little bit more competition. But, you know, compared to household sailors who will send 5, 10, 15, 20,000 letters just to find one deal, and that may even be generous, we, we don't have those kind of numbers. And the returns are so much bigger. They're so much larger and like in the scheme of things. If you just increase your marketing efforts, we, we've kind of been able to push through most of the issues. Yeah. So do you feel that you've tapped into a sort of a, a niche opportunity that a lot of people haven't tapped into yet? Because I mean, typically when somebody's able to achieve those kinds of returns, it isn't for long as other people realize the returns that you're achieving and competition gets a lot fierce or what's the, what's the competition like in your business? Are, are there other companies doing the same thing that you're doing at this point? There's a lot. And, you know, there's a bunch of people who would teach you how to do this, or you can buy a couple thousand dollar course on how to do it. And so there's a lot of people like that in the market. And that can sometimes, you know, cause we, at this point, almost three years in, we're going to do, you know, we'll do, and this may not mean much to your audience, but we're going to send a hundred thousand or more pieces of mail next year. And that's just a really, really big number. A lot of people who start, you know, they're trying to get out a thousand a month, which is 10 to 12 a year. So we're very much 10 X that. And so there's a lot of things like that, that kind of clog that flood the market a little bit, I would say, but where we've been able to really kind of overcome that is just having a good team in place that knows how to talk to sellers, right. Being able to get people on the phone and then being able to get them to a closer, <laughs> which yeah. is super important. So would you say that's the main thing that you're doing differently than a lot of these competitors is that you're in terms of volume, you're just sending out a lot more mail than they are? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's money in, money out at some point. And we've been pretty blessed in our business to, you know, I say blessed, but we've also worked really hard. We've We've brought on a lot of capital recently and, you know, the returns just speak for themselves. And so, yeah, we, you know, more money makes it easier to do any business. <laughs> I I'm sure, you know, anybody could attest to that, but Mm -hmm. we have more people. So I've always had this kind of mindset of, I'm not looking for quick cash with this thing. I'm looking for long-term generational wealth, you know, the ability to provide for the family and make a good living and live the lifestyle I want, you know, all those kind of things. And so I've hired very aggressively as I've grown my business. And so we have, you know, four or five people that work full time or close to full time at this point. And we're just very, we're very responsive when opportunities come up. And so we have two people that their whole focus is just new leads that come in, right? Talking to the sellers, going through scripts, asking questions, asking questions that are like, have you got any other letters recently? Because we know they have, Mm -hmm. right? Have they responded to you? Have they fulfilled their contracts? Because a lot of people send these phony contracts out, to try to get conversations going, not my favorite topic. And we use that against, (laughs) I guess, against other people. You know, we ask the right questions and we get somebody in contact that shows we're serious really quickly. And so you can do that yourself. You can also do that with the team, right? Mm -hmm. It just comes down to the work ethic, I think, at the end of the day. But 
you know, like I teach, you know, some of our clients, we help people that are doing this and trying to market their properties better, learn how to do more digital marketing things. I tell my clients all the time, it's just common sense. <laughs> you know, if you send somebody an offer and then you follow up with them pretty quickly and you like give them the information, you move the deal forward nine, you know, not nine times, but a few times out of 10, that, that's going to turn into a deal. Sometimes it doesn't, sometimes it does, but most people lose, I think, in kind of the follow up and like managing all the opportunities in front of them. So we've hired, you know, enough of a team that can manage that for us now. That's very, very interesting. So you mentioned that you recently brought in, in capital to expand your, your operations. Mm -hmm. Is that from third-party investors whose capital you use to buy different uh, properties or how, how does that work? Yeah, so, so up to this point, you know, in, in recent times, I've mostly turned just to, you know, as somebody, I'm 25 now. I started this when I was 22 or 23. When you're trying to come up with 5,000, 10,000, 8,000, you know, that's not really in your, <laughs> that's not in the average college graduate's bank account. So, you know, I've had to raise capital in a lot of different ways. And so, you know, previous to, to the current relationship that we're working with, we were just kind of doing deal by deal. We'd bring an opportunity to the market and we had a list of, you know, people who could fund it. <laughs> We'd try and connect the funding into the deal and put the whole thing together. We've recently brought on an investor to our business. And so it's somebody that we, that we were working with for a while just to kind of continually to fund deals. And we both kind of really wanted to take it to the next level because, you know, that is really a handicap in any business, any growing real estate businesses. Okay. Now I've learned how to generate opportunities but I've actually, I'm generating too many now, right? Like I need more capital. I need more expertise. I need more execution in order to get these things done. And so that's kind of where we were running into kind of hitting that, that upper limit of how many deals we were doing. And so it just comes down to it. It takes time to connect dollars to opportunities. And so kind of having the dollars on board makes us able to go a lot faster. And, you know, I think I already said this, but it was somebody who I, who was investing with us previously. It wasn't somebody who just showed up and was like, Hey, here's a half million dollars, go invest it. Right. We had done, you know, we'd almost like they say, you know, I think, I don't know where they say it, but I've heard it. You date your investors before you, you know, before you marry them, <laughs> you know, we did some deals together and we invested a smaller amount. And yeah, so we've recently kind of combined teams and brought a lot of that together. And we brought a lot of buying capital behind it too. And so, yeah, that's, that's where we are, but you know, you can fund these deals any which way. So, Clint, you mentioned you're, you're 25 and you're doing all this. That's that's pretty impressive. So you you mentioned last year you quit your job to do this mm -hmm. full time. Tell us a story about how that came to be. What were you doing before <laughs> then? And how did your life change so quickly? Yeah. So, gosh, I went to Oklahoma State, go Pokes. I got a, an engineering major. I studied technically mechanical engineering, but it was always kind of more on the computer engineering kind of nerdy side of things. <laughs> So I did that. Fast forward, I moved to Austin where, you know, where we live now for a tech sales job, basically. Uh, moved for a tech sales job and you know, I was working my way up the corporate ladder, I guess you could say, into different sales roles. And I don't really know how to sum it up other than I hated it. You know, <laughs> like I just did not like working for somebody else. I didn't like, you know, ethics used in business. You know, I, there was just so many things that just didn't really work for me in multiple work environments. I left company one, went to a higher paying job at company two. And, you know, I was in a very niche software, hardware kind of industry. So the the weird random knowledge I have about test and measurement equipment, <laughs> you know, is valuable in some cases. And 
I had a boss one time say to me that like, I'm going to make you a, a test and measurement sales superstar. And like, you know, in the moment I was like, oh, thank you. And left that conversation like, I don't want, I don't want that at all. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't want to, I don't want to do this the rest of my life. So, you know, I'd always been entrepreneurial. I fixed iPhones and flipped cell phones in high school. I did different business ventures in college. I've, I've always played Texas Hold'em like semi-professionally. You know, I've always done different things to try and make money. And, you know, I tried a few different things before I landed on land. I put some ATMs here in Austin <laughs> in some different buildings downtown. You may even know. I did a little bit of that before I started land. I just tried a lot of different things. And really, I was just, you know, I wanted something that was going to get me out of the corporate rat race. And I can't even tell you how I came across land investing, probably a podcast or something to that effect. And I just kind of dove head first. And it was the first thing I started seeing serious financial returns from. And so, you know, I kind of dove into that and very quickly found that I could replace, I mean, very quickly was able to replace my salary. You know, it took a little longer to get where I was comfortable, but I was very quickly able to build up a good amount of cash flow every month. And at one point it was just like, why am I doing both things? <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, I could spend more time doing what I enjoy doing over here. And it's been fantastic. I mean, it's been the best year <laughs> so far. That's pretty amazing. So how did your first... How did you come up across the opportunity of doing what you're doing? Or how did you see the potential in this niche? Yeah, you know, very tactically, it's it's no like sexy magical story. But we even talked about it before is it, it was a podcast I was on. Uh, RE Tipsters is the name of it. They have programs and information on land investing. And I got into it there and just like the low capital it took plus like, you know, you could generate these long-term, which seemed like endless returns on these properties that just paid you monthly. I was like, that seems like what I really want. You know, <laughs> I don't want the the kind of tagline with some of the gurus in our spaces, like no tenants, termites or toilets or something to that effect. And I kind of liked that, you know, I liked the idea of not having to do rehabs, not having to go walk 20 properties to find a deal. Not, you know, a lot of the things that come across that come with larger projects like that. Because these properties, you don't even look at them before buying them, right? I mean, in person. Nope. I've I've walked on two properties <laughs> out of you wow. know, three, you know, 300 and some that we've bought. And they've, they've been ones that were more local just because I seriously wanted to go. I was like, I because we buy a lot in Colorado and a lot in Oregon and a lot in Arizona. And like, I, you know, I'm not going to go to those places every time I buy a property. <laughs> we have somebody else go out there for us. Because it's just land. There's, there's nothing really happening to it. But you do have somebody from your team go to a property before you close? Normally a drone pilot is okay. kind of our, our go-to person. So we'll pay somebody to go take photos and videos and kind of walk the property for us. But yeah, you know, as long as there's no red flags as far as like, hey, there's a pile of tires, which that's happened, or hey, there's a mobile home on this property, which has happened, or, you know, things like that. <laughs> as long as it's just a, a quiet piece of dirt that's sitting there not doing anything, then normally... It passes the sniff. <laughs> it passes the sniff test, if you will. Yeah. Well, how do you see your company or business growing in the next couple of years? Uh, you're in a couple markets today, but I'm sure with a system that you have put in place and are now in a position to grow, that there's that I'm sure you see a big market opportunity for your business. Is that right? Yeah, we do for sure. 
you know, I think it's, again, I think it's a great time to be investing in land. I think it's an expertise not a lot of people have. And just like anything, like, you know, it's it was the equivalent of a, a two-semester college course, I'd say, to get good at investing in property. And it's the same thing for anything, for real for apartment investing, for single-family residents, you know, for whatever you're doing. It's, it's a lot of work to learn it. But we've kind of put ourselves in that position where we have that expertise now, we have the teams, we have the capital. And, you know, I think, you know, a few weeks ago we were in six, seven, and it was pretty much like eight major markets that we worked in that I was able to do myself where, you know, we're looking to three or four X that and really kind of attack those markets even more. But the truth is we won't even scratch the surface of the potential that's out there. There's just so much land. I think it's some, some crazy. But you're only in a few markets right now, right? You're in a couple of markets, but we're in about eight. Yeah. In about eight. And when you say eight, you mean like eight states or are there some markets? Like like a county is a good way to think about it. So on the county level, different counties, because again, there's so many properties. You go from county to county, it's a whole different market. There's whole different types of property for sale there. There's whole different use cases. There's all sorts of things change from county to county. So you definitely have to learn, you know, you can't just hop into a county and know everything about it. It takes kind of a while to learn it. But once you get the flow of it, you can you can really start researching and testing different areas out. And so that's kind of where we're headed right now is a huge market test to see where people are selling. Yeah, because it seems to me that what you have now that is great that you've managed to build over the last couple of years is the system that you have in place to generate leads in a few markets. But that's the same system that could... There's many more markets in the U.S. that you aren't and that you eventually want to there's be. There's so many. I mean, we've, I think there's, somebody did a, a study on it. There's over 3,000 markets, if you want to think of it on a county level. There's over 3,000 different counties in the U.S. that you can research on buying properties that have their own unique <laughs> things about them. So counties don't often talk to each other, right? So like one county can have this system and the other county has this system. A lot of things to learn. You know, you could invest a lot of money in one area and never even scratch the surface of what's available. What are some of the things that you're referring to that you need to know when investing in a, in a certain county? Or, or what are things that you like to see within a county and things that you don't like to see within a county? So I like to see, it's, and it's not even always about the county for me. Sometimes it's about those major markets that are near it. I like to see population growth and job growth and the general things that most, you know, like, that your general single family, like residential markets would want to see, right? So we like to see those things. When it comes to the county level, man, I just, I've always followed the philosophy, just go where the money is, you know, just go where the money is. And so we always are looking through the variety of different tools we have for sales. How many sales are in this market, right? Sales versus, and, you know, even some people talk about looking at the amount of sold things versus the amount of listed things. I don't even always subscribe to that philosophy. I just like to see sales because if people are buying there, I'll make sure that I, that I sell there. You know what I mean? I'll market well. I'll get on the top of the listings. I'll get in front of the right people. I just like to see sales, really. Now, there's other little tricky things that you learn from experience, right? You learn things about like questions to ask the county about zoning. You learn different little you know ticks that land buyers have. They like the least amount of restrictions as possible. <laughs> so being able to quickly scan a zoning document and tell you if my buyer will like it or not like it is, is something you learn over time, right? HOAs, 
also known as POAs, can be a POA, <laughs> can be a pain in the ass. You know, so little things like that can can cause issues. And there's always the weird, off, crazy cases that that happen <laughs> in every business. But yeah, man, it's it's really not that uh, it's not that complicated in the land game. There's a few boxes to check, and other like like other than that, it's just quiet dirt that sits there. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's extremely interesting. You're, the whole business model that you have going on, I remember when you first told me about it, I was fascinated and I wanted the opportunity to have this conversation to learn more about it and understand it a little bit better. So as you grow, are you looking to bring in outside investments for your projects or and investments or what's your strategy? So long-term, we... I love the markets we're in now. I love the asset class we work in. And so we're really trying to, you know, become a dominant force in that space and make sure that we really kind of put our foot in that market. But other places I see a lot of potential that, you know, now that honestly, recently I've been able to really expand our team and put a lot more work behind this to where I, I even have the time, just the time to invest or to look into other ideas. And so kind of where I was going with that is, I see a lot of opportunities and, you know, for example, areas near us, some area within an hour of us where you could buy 50 to 150 acres of land and you can do minor improvements. So something to the effect of cutting roads, cutting the kind of mass, kind of the master drainage system and the culverts for the land, you know, running base level electrical, base level sewer if, if it's available and water, kind of doing some of these minor, minor improvements and then doing the same thing we do. I mean, you can buy these things. From my research, it looks like you can buy these things and, you know, all in $8,000, $9,000 an acre, you can probably get into a property like this and you could sell it for kind of like I told you earlier, you know, $15,000 an acre is general for land out here. If you have a nice developed parcel, you can charge $20,000, $25,000 an acre. So I see a lot of opportunities to scale the business in that way. So yeah, those are kind of the two areas. As far as the rural smaller vacant stuff, we've got a lot, <laughs> we got a lot of money to place right now. But that's kind of where we see the business going in the future too, is some of those kind of minor developments. Again, we don't want to get too dirty with all the rehab and all the fixing, but I do see some value in kind of adding some minor improvements eventually. Yeah, I love the focus that you have on trying to keep it simple. And if there's something in the way that's going to add <laughs> hassle and headache, you're like, let somebody else take care of that while you focus on on what's really worked for you in mm -hmm. growing your business. And, you know, I try and, you know, especially, you know, you and I met at, met at a, a networking event here. So I try and network with people and I see all these amazing opportunities that go on and I get asked all the time, why don't you do this? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do this? Because... And the answer is always because it's working. You know what I mean? Because what we're doing is working. Just kind of try and keep the eye on the prize. Yeah, well, you have a very fascinating story, Clint. And I'm very excited about where you and the Wayland Co. are headed in the next couple of years. So I'm very excited about that. And Clint, are you ready for our fire round? Uh-oh. <laughs> I did not know there was a fire round, but I guess I'm ready. I think you are. You'll do well. Don't worry. <laughs> What's uh, the book that has had the most profound impact on your life? Oh man, you're you're exposing me as not <laughs> not an avid reader here. 
you know, a book that I really, really liked that I, there, there's the answers and I'm looking at my library up here. <laughs> there's the answers like Rich Dad, Poor Dad and, you know, things like that. I think all those books are great. One book I've really liked lately that I've read is called High Performance Habits by Brennan Burchard. He also has another book called The Motivation Manifesto. I think those are really great books because when you learn how to, and I'm not saying I'm perfect at this, <laughs> but when you learn how to deal with the inside of you, right? You, your mindset, your fitness, your, you know, how you approach the day, how you approach business, how you approach work and life and all that kind of stuff, things get easier and things kind of become a little more clear. And those are two books that are just, well, especially the high performance habits book is just very practical and, Hey, we study a few thousand high-performing people and here's how they perform, right? So like if you want to model what people do, it's a good book. So that's one that I've liked a lot lately. Perfect. What's the single most important skill to have as a real estate investor and as a real estate business owner? You have to take the losses as learning opportunities. <laughs> kind of a simple, you know, kind of a common one, but you know, it's fun to talk about the big wins we have and made a hundred thousand on this deal. You made 50,000 on this deal. We have all this passive income, but man, if there haven't been just some, some blows along the way, you know, what's one blow that you've had along the way that you've learned from. I'll tell you one that happened last week. All right. And this used to would have just driven me up the wall. I would have probably lost it, but these days I know how to do <laughs> I can control it a little more. We're trying to sell this property. It's a hundred acre property in Colorado and the buyers in New Jersey. And the buyer is of Indian descent. And I, you know, I, I don't say that racially whatsoever, but the owner of the HOA did seem to have a problem with that. And so in the conversations, I had let them know that the HOA was really slow about like updating their books. And so just to be prepared to hear from them eventually. And I gave them their information. Well, fast forward, they called a guy, the guy like, can tell just from the phone call that they're of Indian descent and just starts asking some of the most racist questions and just being very, very, you know, inappropriate in a way, especially in 2020 in the situation. And man, we had, we had almost $50,000 in that property and we we're trying to sell it for a hundred and this closing had fallen through once already before this, the buyer backed out and then came back and really wanted the property. We renegotiated the price. We're in closing it is closing day. The, the wires are supposed to go out and they call just on a whim. They call this HOA guy and he starts rambling lies off about the property, about how it's overrun with, I don't even remember what he said, like some sort of like field rodent and that it was flooding. And I was like, man, you know, we have pictures and like, we've had this, like, like this is a bigger property. We've had the whole study done and, you know, we, we had to get our attorney involved and he eventually went quiet and the, and the deal closed thank goodness, early the next week. But, you know, a situation like that could have, we have a bunch of investor money tied up, the property's fallen through two times, that could have ruined your week. You know what I mean? And yeah, <laughs> we've learned to take that as, okay, I need to be a little more careful on who I connect my buyers with, right? That's the, that's the learning lesson for that one. That's a good lesson. <laughs> Zooming out and realizing that Losses are part of the bigger picture. Part of the bigger picture, right? So now yeah. I know to <laughs> I know who and who not to connect people with now. <laughs> yeah. What's Clint, the real estate trend that you're paying attention to these days? 
Well, I think one that everyone's paying attention to is just the interest rates right now. I think that's interesting. I, I'm honestly not an ec- economist. That's the word I'm looking for. Clearly. I'm not, <laughs> clearly, I'm not an economist. Um, so I don't, I don't know what that means in the long term. And I follow a lot of people that are just way smarter than me. And I see the things they post and the things they share. And I just, I always message them. What does this mean? Like, I don't know. What does this mean? This, you know, this interest rate's low. This thing is this. I think that's really interesting though, just as being a millennial and someone who is actually in that age of like, I want to buy a home where a lot of people are, right? I don't think most people do that for the correct reason, but just kind of being here, I can see it's just very lucrative, very easy to get into to a mortgage right now, which is interesting again to me that this is happening. But anyhow, I think that's interesting. The other one that, you know, I have to mention is like, if you can just Google Zillow or Redfin and rural land, and you'll see there's all sorts of reports coming out these days on how search traffic, search volumes are increasing, sales volume is increasing. All this kind of stuff has increased dramatically. It's a trend no one's looking at, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so, uh, and it's one we're obviously capitalizing on, but yeah. yeah, I give you those two. Perfect, thank you. Clint, what's a parting piece of advice that you have for our audience? You know, as we've grown the business, the thing that, and I, you know, I, you may get this at this point for me, but it's very much kind of, stay in your lane and focus on what's working, right? A lot of people, which baffles me, will do a great multifamily deal or they'll do a great single family deal or they'll do a great house flip. And then they'll just say, oh, I don't know that that's the best one. I'm going to switch to the next, you know? And so I think there's just so much momentum you gain by staying in your lane for an extended amount of time more opportunities open themselves up, more knowledge is just readily available. You know, eventually you start hiring the right team to do the execution. It's just, it it really compounds itself. And it's easy to get lost in the, I'm going to do two multifamily deals and eight single family, you know, to build this idealistic portfolio. When it's like, when you know what you're good at, <laughs> keep doing what you're good at and keep figuring out how to get better at it. So that'd be my piece. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that. That's a great piece of advice, Clint. Thank you for that. And thank you for your time today. It's been a pleasure having you here. I learned a lot. As I said, I really wanted the opportunity to ask you these questions and learn more about your business model. And I certainly did. So I appreciate that. And I look forward to staying in touch and staying and monitoring how you keep growing. Because I'm very excited to see what's next for you and your company. Luckily, we're in the same city now, so <laughs> exactly. I think I think we can make it happen. Perfect. Well, Clint, it's been a pleasure. Thanks, man. 